Welcome to Sexology, a podcast that untangles the science of sex and pleasure. And now, with this week's episode, your host, clinical psychologist, Dr. Nazanin Moali. Welcome back to another episode of Sexology podcast. Today, let's dive into the enchanting world of shibari an ancient form of bondage that has piqued the interests of many people longing to deepen the connection with their long-term partners. Meet Dr. Amanda Pashuko, a Latina international clinician, speaker, and a driving force in sparking passion within romantic and sexual relationships. Known as the sex healer, she appeared on CNN, Playboy, Cosmo, and many more publications. With over a decade of experience, her no-nonsense approach combined with tantra techniques, sex therapy, and somatic experiencing has helped thousands of individuals and couples, including high-profile clients like celebrities and Olympic athletes, transform their sexual lives. Dr. Pashuko offers online therapy ensuring privacy and confidentiality with consistent five-star reviews from clients. Get ready to propel your sexual life forward with her valuable guidance. She's here to help you on your journey towards sexual positivity and empowerment. But Shibori is not solely about physicality. It has the power to enhance emotional connections as well. We'll explore how this art can help couples in long-term relationships rediscover each other, forging deeper bonds, preparing to be inspired by real-life stories of couples who have discovered a new dimension of intimacy through Shibori. So before we head into the interview, I have some exciting news to share. Brace yourself for an epic live podcast recording featuring yours truly and three of your favorite sex podcasters. It's an exclusive opportunity. Join us in person or virtually for an evening unfiltered conversation and deep connections. Trust me, you don't want to miss it. Oh, and here's the cherry on top. I'll be teaching a workshop on spicing things up in the bedroom because this workshop is just before Valentine's Day. While my colleagues cover topics like unlocking your sexual yes and mastering effective sexual communication. To top it off, we'll be sharing empowering orgasm stories to leave you feeling inspired. Hurry up because tickets are flying off the shelves. Before we go to the episode today, I wanted to give a big shout out to our sponsor for the live show, Copley. This incredible app has one mission, to be the ultimate tool for couples looking to nurture their bond. If you're craving a deeper connection and a better understanding of each other, Copley is your go-to guide. It uses quizzes, questions, and games that are tailor-made to help you and your partner improve communication, and celebrate those special moments that make your relationship one of a kind. Our recent listener survey showed that you're eager to find ways to foster better communication and enjoy interactive games with your loved one. And guess what? Copley offers all of that and more. It's a platform that knows the power of playfulness and open dialogue in keeping the flame alive. 
If you are interested to check out their app, make sure you're heading to the show notes. You can just search Copley in the app store or you can use the link below. With Copley, you're not just wasting time with mindless distractions. You're actively investing in the quality of your relationship, turning every interaction in an opportunity to learn and grow together. All right, without further ado, here's my conversation with Amanda. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Sexology Podcast. I am so excited to welcome back Dr. Amanda Pashuko. Dr. Amanda, welcome to our show. Thank you so much for having me. It's so good to be here. Well, I'm excited for our conversation. I know a few years ago, we had another episode with you that people loved and it's definitely a treat to have you back. So today we're talking about Shibari. I know many people are attracted to it for different reasons and it feels like very alluring and complicated. So for our listeners that they're not familiar with it, what is Shibari? Yeah, Shibari is Japanese rope bondage. So it is a type of bondage in the kink community. The B within BDSM, Shibari is a specific type of rope bondage with jute rope that comes from Japan. It is made to be sensual, beautiful, and also restrictive as bondage. When did it become popular in the United States? Is that more recent thing or it's been popular for several decades? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think that the cultural relevance would probably be better suited for someone who knows a lot about that. There are definitely people who have been doing this since the 70s. There is a, a big history of Shibari, though. That's someone who studies from at a dojo with rigors in Japan. Like they would have answers to that because it's a cultural type of thing passed down. It became famous, of course, when pornography becomes famous. Everyone learned new things. It's like, what is that beautiful rope? Because people were doing rope bondage here. They were doing what's called like Western bondage in the United States. And that's different rope. It's nylon. It's completely different. So. I think that's when it became more popular here because people started to see, oh, what are they doing? Let's take some of that technique and see how it works. We have to honor the lineage of people who are like those rope masters, though, because they really pass down this beautiful strategy of connection through jute rope of all things. You can pick anything. This is what they chose. Fascinating. And for people that they don't get what is it about bondage overall that's so attractive or like doing the bondage and the person who's getting the restraint. What are some of the things that you hear from your clients that they get out of it? That's why they're interested in it. A lot of times couples come into it to spice things up when they're feeling like they want to explore more of their sexual identities, their erotic identities. They're not sure how. So it's a skill set that you can learn. The King community has a bunch of skill sets you can learn. But this one of Shibari is one that some people go to. People who are Eagle Scouts, people who sail, like people who are into knots, climbing. This is a 
a strategy of using knots to create something for the person that you're putting this rope on where they feel you've adorned them and you've contained them to keep them safe. And a couple that's really deepening. And it, as single people, it's very exciting that someone wants to do this type of service or gift for you to adorn you. Whatever your body is, like rope can go on anybody. So everybody could do this, some type of rope bondage. I think that makes it accessible, even though there's tons of steps towards adequacy in this skill. It is connective. Like bondage is connective because it restrains one person's choices and gives trust to the other person that we will stay within the agreements of what we've talked about. But like pushing those limits because you're giving me trust within this time zone of sexuality, which we call a scene, you're giving away trust and bondage that does something that deepens the experience between people. We go beyond physical into something called power exchange through bondage, right? Because you're taking away someone's access to move. So you're immediately giving something away that puts the person in a place of topping you. And I think that that is something that many people enjoy. They enjoy the feeling of being a top and being able to give a service. And they enjoy the feeling of having a break from making all the decisions all the time. That is so fascinating. And I truly believe it's a skill I, I see sometimes called like they have in the book, like illustration of uh, tying the knobs. And I'm like, I attended workshop and I cannot still... <laughs> One workshop's not much. I would say a lot of people who study this, they have teachers, like they're meeting on Zoom weekly with Mm -hmm. a specific teacher. They're doing workshops every weekend to learn. So yeah, one workshop. If you want to do bondage quick, get leather cuffs. Like you don't need rope. You don't need... But like if you want the bondage sensation, leather cuffs are very accessible, easy, You don't need any lessons, Mm -hmm. no lessons with rope. There's a lot that goes into it. It's an investment in time and in, you know, money. But I guess any sex hobby might include money if you start getting into like role plays and toys. I agree with you. It's expensive. And it it is truly an artistry, right? That like the way that can people uh, tie the knots and like the... The kind of how tight it is, like where they put different things, different knots. That's just like all so beautiful and powerful. I know that scenes could look different, right? Like I, I always tell people, like sexual scripts can be whatever you want, like the same with the scene. So as long as you're negotiating, consenting, anything that can be possible for people are engaging in it. But what would be a usual? see like that like people kind of engage for example like for for a couple that they're not in the king community so a couple that's not in the king community how would they engage in a scene a rope scene Mm -hmm. okay well i would say that going into a scene when you don't know how to tie is not a wise idea (laughs) let's slow down let's not start with a scene i love the enthusiasm i love the passion of it 
I would say at least five times practicing with rope outside the bedroom, a minimum of five. You know, shibari is something that I see a lot of clients who really love it. I've been able to experience like workshops with this type of skill set. And there are hours and hours of time that go into that person who's rigging, the person who's actually the one with the rope putting it on someone. That person needs to practice a lot before they take that top energy because if not, things could go wrong. We don't want the first time that we're cutting rope to be in a scene, for example, <laughs> right? So what we do in like the rope world is we'll have lab nights where we're going to class to learn a knot and we're going to practice that all night. And then a week or two later, we'll have a teacher come in and teach a specific, another new knot. And then you build on that. And then you're back to two weeks later, another lab class. So you're building familiarity over and over and muscle memory. To me, if you can't tie a knot in the dark with your eyes closed, you ought not be using it in a sex scene because we don't want to ruin sex by bringing in the performance of Shibari. Shibari is a performance. Shibari is an art. Shibari is a way to have sex. Shibari is a lot of things. It's like a way to communicate between people. However, since it's edgy, we definitely want those who are listening, who are going to get into this, or those who already know some knots, they're familiar with it for other reasons, construction, they know how to tie things. Tying things on the body is very different than tying things on a piece of equipment. However, the concept of practicing on a piece of equipment, for me, I remember when I was like tying a lot, I got into it and I wanted to tie myself. I wanted to tie myself. I didn't want to tie any people. I just thought it was really cool. Even practicing before I put myself into a tie, I would practice on like a backpack or a pillow. And I would do things like if I wanted to move that, how did the backpack move? Because I don't want to do it on something precious. My partner, myself, I don't want to harm someone because we're going to have awesome, fun scene, but I don't have like a skill set. You're absolutely right. Sometimes we see things in the porn or kind of thinking, but I have some kind of a skill. Like I know how to tie the knot. Let's go. But what I'm hearing is truly a skill. No, no, no. We're not tying knots and going. Yeah, we're going to do that because... <laughs> There are parts of the arm, there are parts of the hand, like you could be very good at this, this skill of shibari being a rigger. And still, there are mistakes that can be made where the knot falls on some part of the arm, some part of the thigh, and we lose circulation. And we're not talking just for the day, we're talking wrist drop where you can't pick up your wrist for months. Like mm -hmm. there are things that can go wrong. So we want to test out and have our knots we want the tightness to be secure. We want the tension on the ropes around, say the pillow, to be even. There's a lot that happens first before I want to bring this into the bedroom with someone that I care about or put it on my own body. Or as a, if I'm tying someone else, I don't want to like harm that person in any way if I don't feel competent. And tying one knot again, one knot in the dark, with your eyes closed, in different positions, upside down, on the left. Can you do it? Can you tie it 
Can you tie it the same way twice in a row? Like sometimes you'll tie a knot and then you'll take a picture of it. You'll tie it again. And part of the rope, the running end is going the opposite way. So you did not tie it the same way twice. However, you're thinking you're competent. That could be competent or it could be a knot that's unsafe. It's not collapsing in the way that the knot is supposed to lay. And we really need things to do what they're supposed to so we don't hurt people and cut off circulation or nerves. That's why just buy leather cuffs. If you just want a scene, if you want a scene with bondage fast, buy leather cuffs. There's no big experience. There's no classes. It's much easier, much cheaper because it's going to take a lot to learn shibari well. And most people who are into it practice every day for years to get some of the things that you see online every day for years. Oh, wow. And doing that, tying knots the same way multiple times in a row, if you're practicing that in a lab or a class with your partner, not in the bedroom, that partner gets to see you and build trust in a vanilla, non-sensual context. They get to see you mess up sometimes too. Mm-hmm. However, they get to see you get it correctly. And when they do that, when you get into a scene or your bedroom together, there is trust that person receiving the rope has because they've seen you be competent doing it before in another setting. So I think it's important to know that there is an element of building up partnership with people you're tying. Now, that's going to be controversial to some people in the rope community because, yes, you get to tie anybody you want. However, there are teachers in this, the world of Shibari, who believe that you must do it with someone that you have so much intimacy with. And I, because it is very intimate bondage through rope because of the time it takes bondage casually. You could use ropes. However, the person in the rope feels something intimate. So do you want to be casually playing with energy exchange and power? It's just important to ask yourself. Just know your yeses and be aware that something different happens when you're giving some part of trust over to someone in a scene for a certain amount of time. And there's a responsibility, I guess, at the top to know before you get into a scene how to do things without harming others. I would also say, say you're going out and doing rope in a public play space versus a class or a lab just in a play space. I think it's important to do things like set up your space, look for an exit, be sure you're hydrated, have a blanket, like actually set up a little mini area for yourself and your partner because you're going to be out in public and you're doing something intimate and you might want to just set like a little bubble around you Mm -hmm. in a way because you don't really want to call people in to be asking you questions in that moment where you're trying to build trust and learn a new skill set. So important to kind of like think ahead, create a container and hopefully do it with someone that you have a good communication. You have a contract if it's a newer partner 
So that, yeah. that's important as well. So tell us like for the, so for the top, like it seems like quite lost of skill for the bottom, for someone that's getting tied, what kind of skills they need to have? Yeah. So the skill set of giving very specific verbal feedback, an example of that would be, I'm noticing on my right arm, about three inches above where the arm creases on my left side, that there is a twist or a pinch happening. Can you look at that for me? That's very specific. And that tone is very curious and compassionate. Many people, myself used to be one of these people. So that's just not trying to shame or blame anyone. I used to be one of these people would be like, you're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. Like it's twisted and it hurts. That is not the same. That might be, it's not specific and it's not building trust in any way that that person wants to tie me. It's building resentment maybe. Because they're overgiving a gift and I'm not being appreciative, for example. So one skill set that the person receiving rope has to have is specific communication in a curious and compassionate tone. Another thing would be all bodies are able to do this. Disabled bodies, I've seen people and, you know, really all types of bodies, all genders in rope bondage which is awesome. It's important to know how to stretch that body that you own. In whatever way you can do that, it's important because muscles and nerves and things that you're not engaging with on your day-to-day life are being moved, held in, and having knots pushed against them. So there's a little bit of a stress on the body that would be more helpful if you knew some yoga or some deep breathing, progressive muscle relaxation. If you knew any of these things to help your mind and body kind of calm down and you paying attention to that inner, the inner sensations of your body, the vehicle of your body, that would be really important. That makes you a safer person to want to tie. Another thing my friend used to always tell me would be a person who receives rope bondage carries a bottoming bag, meaning you have a bottle of water, you have a snack, you have band-aids, you have your own bag ready to take care of yourself versus expecting this person who's doing so much in the scene to then make sure your blood sugar is okay, make sure you're hydrated, you don't have any socks. They're giving you theirs. Like that's not, again, building trust. So doing your part to care for yourself. And another thing, maybe the last thing I'll say for the person receiving that I think is super important is the ability to say enough, stop, red, safe word. And if even better than that, okay, so that's minimum. Bonus points if you can say, I have five more minutes left in me, like a yellow, because that in the rope world means we're done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I have five more minutes means we're absolutely, we're on time. Mm-hmm. Five more minutes means we're done because we don't want to get to the red when we're doing something like edge play. Rope is edge play. So that's why you always have something to cut the rope with. You have a bath up for the cutting the rope. You have another safety shears to back up to back up your rope just in case because 
limbs are important and we don't want to hurt our uh, models. They're called sometimes submissives, our rope bottoms, rope bunnies, whatever we want to call the person receiving. A lot of people use different words for that person, whereas the top is a rigger. And I think when it comes to trust, like I, I can only imagine that, like I think there's so many kind of sexual experiences that I can, I'm willing to do casually, <laughs> but this doesn't sound like one of them, right? Like you don't know the person's skills. Yeah. I uh, think that sometimes you have like a rope family too. So mm-hmm. you don't even go tie with someone unless someone you know has tied with that because like, have we ever seen them tie someone before? What happened? Mm-hmm. That type of thing. Because there are places, there are still dungeon parties now, 2024, that don't allow upside down suspensions mm-hmm. because you don't know the skill set of the people who are tying. So like that's still a thing, the liability of it, because so many people go too fast. They're like, let's do a scene immediately. Let's do a suspension. Let's tie this beautiful partner I have or this person I'm dating or playing with. Let's tie them up because they're so pretty and it'll be so fun. And it's like, we just went from Shibari Robot to suspension. And that is very intimate because when a person is suspended, things change for the physiology of their body. And when they come back down... They can feel all types of feelings as if intimacy and sexuality and orgasm has happened. And they might not have, but there's a a physiological change that happened. So to me, what I think I hear you saying, and I agree, is it's very intimate. And you might not want to explore that with everyone, or you might. Like maybe it's a one in once in a year opportunity because you're at a rope conference and you really want to tie with this one person. That happens. Like, so there are people who will tie casually. I guess I'm speaking for my contacts and the way in which I help the people I work with because I think that it's a very specific thing that we're solving, which is like a connection or transformation of some sort. And with that comes trust and buildup of a container versus assuming we have the trust and going backwards from there. For people who are sobbing, the people who are getting tired, they know that like there's a subspace. So how do we know our own limit? So maybe we're really enjoying it, but you say it's a form of edge play. So how, how do usually people kind of gauge that? I think that sometimes we don't necessarily know our boundaries till we accidentally cross them, unfortunately. Sometimes we might really be enjoying a sensation, like the kind of floaty outer body experience that is like a buzz of when you're maybe out dancing with people and you're connected to someone and everyone around you kind of like disappears. There's like this intimate buzz that happens almost, a flow state. And I think when that happens, it's important to be aware, is this a person I trust to continue being here? Right? If you do not trust that person and you start to feel that way, it's almost like as if, okay, I'm using substances, like I'm altering, I'm literally altering my chemistry in my body. Do I trust this person? If I don't, I better phone a friend (laughs) 
and kind of put myself in a better situation for me. I don't think a lot of people imagine that it's going to feel so fun and connected and close. So they might just stay in it because they've never experienced it. And like, this feels warm and fun. It feels different. So sweet. And then all of a sudden, life starts happening. You go back to work Monday. You go back to work Tuesday. And you might be wondering, why didn't that person call me? Like, I thought we were so connected. So substates is something that happens to the mind, body, and emotional state because of rope, because of some type of power exchange dynamic. And our bodies, if we start paying attention, will be like a barometer to let us know if it's too much. If our hands are going numb, I don't know what that means for me. So that might be a bad sign. I'm going to stay stuck. Like to me, it's always better to say, oh, I wish I did more than, wow, that was too much for me. For me, and everyone gets to decide what that is for them. I like the idea that it's going to happen again. So why am I forcing myself to do more? And I think that's like a personal thing. Absolutely. And I think kind of being honest, right? That kind of like doing like there's an element of mindfulness that kind of thinking about what does it feel like in my body? How does it feel when I'm kind of in the state? So instead of being checked out, because I know so many times when people have all sorts of sexual encounters, they're checked out. And I think right. that's that like it seems like the shibari forces you to in a way to do the embodiment. You can't check out. Like if you check out, if you check out as a submissive, as the person receiving the rope, that is not your job. Your job is not to check out. Your job is to check in and be fully present with yourself. As the person giving, as the rigor. Your job is to be fully present of the room of that person in front of you, of the rope of yourself. You have a few more things to be paying attention to, but no one is checked out. Like that is, but not really an option. It's very, it's a tantric in that way, like sacred presence of breath, sound and movement all together. Like that's what I mean by tantric in that sense. And shibari, again, is not like other types of bondage. Other types of bondage use like different ropes, different patterns. Shibari is practice to give a certain sensation and feeling of connection and submission in my experience of it. So maybe not everyone has that experience. However, I think it's important to recognize that. Absolutely. And for the rigor, we talked about the minimum skill of being able to tie the knot. You've done it before. So you got that, that's that part of it down, hopefully. <laughs> Which yeah, that's just out. one part. Exactly. Right, right. So what else do like a minimum other things that people have to have in order to kind of enter this space? So if you're the rigger, you need to have a rope kit. What does that mean? Two or more things to cut with, carabiners, things to put your rope into if you're trying to move something around with rope. You're also going to want maybe if you're doing, if you're practicing like a chest harness, you're going to want more than one strand of rope. Like, so you're going to have bundles of rope at different measurements to do different things. You're going to have short ropes to do wrist ties. You're going to have medium ropes. And when you're with a partner, you cut your rope to that person's body. 
so that the ropes fall the same place every time if you tie it correctly. And those places will not be on a nerve. Like that's why you do that. And so it costs a lot of money to buy rope kits per partner that are cut to their body. So if you're in an open relationship, just know that a lot of people don't want to share their rope. They want separate things, which makes sense because it's like an energy exchange and not everyone's going to have the same length ropes for the the patterns we're tying. So a rigger needs to have a rope kit. So that's what I call all the things I was just talking to about a rope kit. They need to know how to tie a knot on a person. They need to know how to tie two things, two columns, meaning two wrists together. They need to know how to take that and then tie that to something like a bedpost. So a few different skills right there. Tying one wrist or one ankle, tying two ankles together, two wrists together, and then taking whatever you're tying and then tying it to something else. Three different ropes right there, Mm -hmm. right? And say we did both ankles, that's four different ropes now. So... It, we start thinking ahead like this. We'll think about these are things that riggers think about. I believe, like, how is everyone's blood sugar? Like, low blood sugar is the enemy here. We do not want low blood sugar when we're doing rope. Like, someone getting dizzy and rope, that's dangerous. Someone rigging and getting dizzy, not what we want either. So, a rigger has to have, I would say, a plan of what they want to do. So say you're going to lab and no one's teaching anything, it would be on the rigger probably to say, hey, I would like to try a hip harness tonight to their partner or submissive. Do you want to try that with me? Versus expecting the person receiving rope to know what we're going to practice. Like the rigger would be probably the one to be like, what are we trying to create? Let me create and be the visionary the dominant who's competent and confident but not cocky or domineering these are like the things i would say a rigor needs so so many different components to it right that when people want to kind of cultivate the skill gets better at it and the communication piece you brought up it's so important i feel like it's a uh, next level communication for people, like even when they want to have vanilla sex, right? That like is yes. just like so difficult to give feedback, but like, you know, it's just there, the stakes are not as high. But when you are, are not as high, right? Right. When you're doing shibari or kind of a power struggle, that can be, that that would be essential for you to give it right, right feedback, take care of yourself, but also, as you said, be uh, compassionate. So it definitely sounds like a skill that needs to be practiced. It's not easy to be compassionate when you're seeing someone do what your perception is that they're doing the tie wrong. Like when you're receiving a gift, if you have a perception that it is wrong and you would do it differently, compassion in that moment is huge. I It takes something, the inner work to be like, let me grab my compassion and curiosity right now. Instead of what would be easy, what would be easy is shaming, denigrating, blaming. And that's not helpful because it's, you're not going to get closer to the bedroom scene you're fantasizing about unless you're practicing being a person who's gracious, 
receptive, kind, again, curious, collaborative, right? So I think there's a collaboration that happens by being a person who's receiving that's taking care of themselves versus being a person who receives and like, I don't have limits. It's like, no, you will have limits. We are, I promise you, we will find them. So let's start thinking about that now. Mm-hmm. Again, right. slowing all the way down and having very, very specific conversations. Another thing that most people might not do in vanilla dating is ask about injuries right away. But if you're going to practice tying someone, you're going to say like, have you ever had surgeries? Like, did you ever have a knee surgery? Do you have a bad shoulder? All of a sudden, you're going to be paying attention to their body in ways you might not do in a vanilla setting. However, how intimate to learn that they have like a left shoulder issue for 10 years. It's pretty intimate and you start building connection and compassion for one another. And the level of kind of like attending to it, right? As you're tying the rope. And thank you, just as you said, it could be an opportunity for deeper intimacy and deeper connection. What does the aftercare look like for these scenes? I think that everyone has a different idea about what aftercare is. However, I would say time together, time together in a way where both people are attuned to one another, yet not trying to fix what the elder one is feeling. So... Maybe the tie of the rigor didn't go as good as you wanted. Not making it about yourself and noticing that someone was receiving that gift anyway, right? And as and here's another example the other way. As the bottom or receiver giving gratitude, even though you saw that your rigor was huffing and puffing, giving like gratitude for the gift that it was. And trusting that there will be a next time. If you are shaming and being rude to one another, there will not be next times, probably. There won't be more chances. But aftercare, being with one another in a way that works. So some people like parallel play, each person on their own phone. Some people like eye gazing, looking right at one another. Some people like to go on a walk and just leave the place that they just were. So human beings are all wildly different. So I just want to like throw out those examples and also say don't limit yourself on aftercare. Yet be sure to not just the day that you tied, but say it was like a scene or play and it was really intimate. Aftercare to me involves following up the next day and three days later and a week later. So if I'm the rigor, I have a responsibility to check in. Now, say you're self-tying. I think you have a responsibility to check in with yourself a day later, a few days later and a week later. How's my body? Do I want to do that tie again with myself? Was there anything I want to change? So these concepts we're talking about are not just for couples, not just for dating, but it also could be self to self and the same love, attention, and care you would want from a partner as the rigor or as the model, rope bunny, submissive bottom. You want, you deserve that. You deserve the exact same. 
Now, again, things to taste, like you might like pepper, I might like salt. So we don't want to be exactly the same. We want to give the person what they actually want, the nuance that they want. So hopefully you have a lot of conversations about aftercare beforehand. Like, what do you like after you cuddly? Are you quiet? Do you like music? Do you like silence? So talking about things. I think aftercare is a great practice in anything. However, especially in Shibari, following up days later, hey, how was that for you? I'm still thinking about how fun that was. I love that kind of bringing element of connection and humanity to just all sexual encounters, right? Because sometimes right? people, when they think about casual encounters or non-committed encounters, they're kind of like hesitant to check in, kind of be attentive. But as you said, like if you want to kind of engage with people in future or you want to kind of be a good person. <laughs> yeah, like, I like I like falling asleep at night feeling proud of myself. Mm-hmm. So sitting in integrity that I called, I followed up. I was the dominant of the scene. I contained that experience. Therefore, it's on me to give gratitude to the person who I was able to hold that for. Yeah, like to me, it doesn't matter, I guess, if you get another date. You feel really good about yourself when you treat people with integrity. Like you do the right thing, even when no one's looking. You feel really good about yourself at (laughs) night instead of being like, I made a mistake there. I felt like a failure there. Like switching that view. How do I become a visionary instead of just like criticizing everything? Mm -hmm. Well, that again, I love the idea. So we're talking about like different level of morality development, right? Like one idea is like, if someone's looking at us, then like we can do something wrong. But like the next level you're talking about is just like, you're being comfortable with the things that you're doing and how you carry throughout the world, regardless of what kind of behavior you're engaging in. Exactly. And I think all tools within sexuality, even vanilla sex, are a really special way to get to those core values. It's just very special, very intimate in a different way that we don't have as commonly as we do friendships or coworkers or family members. Exactly. So for people that are now intrigued, they want to learn how to start this journey. First of all, is it something that you invite them to do with their partner? You can do it solo if you want to kind of step in this space. And what are some of the resources? I would say to go probably locally to classes like rope bondage classes or not locally if you have the means you could go to nationwide or international conferences you're really serious about this you ought to get a mentor and a teacher who is in japan because that is where this art is created and anyone in the United States who is doing this or North America or South America doing this has taken that art in Japan. Just so you know, like I'm not the person to speak on the lineage. However, if you want to learn rope, you want to go to Kana and Kagura, you want to go to Kanoko, you want to go to the creators of the practice. Like their their lineage still exists. So you want to really go there. Because they probably all since COVID have workshops and right like live workshops or online courses. And if you can't do online courses locally, there will be rope 
events, if you type in Shibari or type in rope bondage, within some hours drive of you, there will be some rope dojo or some Shibari place that you can go and learn from someone else. If you're like a hands-on learner, I'm a person who likes to read, to watch videos. So to me, it was very important to learn from the people who created it. And I also think I understand that everyone learned differently. So once you have some understanding, it's important to be in person with someone who's checking your tension, checking your friction, making sure that your rope is going the right way. Because if it goes to the left instead of the right, that might pinch the person's scapula. Versus if it goes the other way, no issues on the skin. Like little nuanced things that sometimes a teacher could see on camera if you're doing lessons together, but sometimes it's easier to see in person. So all of these things really matter to learn from someone who's very experienced. And when I say very experienced, I'm talking over a decade. I don't think anyone... There are so many teachers right now take beautiful new beautiful rope take beautiful photos and therefore say that they can teach shibari i disagree completely i think there are the people who are the masters and then there's their lineage of people that they've taught and those are the people you ought to be learning from if you want to get results that we talked about in today's podcast. Well, thank you so much for giving us the deeper understanding of Shibari, the details of what it it takes for people to step in these spaces and kind of introducing the complexity of scenes and interactions. I know right before recording, I was just talking about how many how much content you have out there on different topics related to sexuality. I know you had your books a few years ago when I had you on the show, and now you have lots of videos on YouTube and you have have your own practice. So when people want to learn, if they want to learn about you, they want to kind of access the wisdom that you have, what are some of the places they can go to? Absolutely. My website is lifecoachingandtherapy.com. I own a group private practice in Hartford, Connecticut, USA. However, I see clients internationally. So does my staff. We work with transforming problems into pleasure. So pleasure-based type of therapy. And I also do a lot of stuff under my brand, The Sex Healer, which is my YouTube channel. That's where I do a lot of my sex education and have created video content to get quick information to you that I've kind of worked on for decades in a short amount of time. So those are the two ways you can reach out, website and YouTube. Beautiful. We'll leave a link to those content website and the link to the YouTube. Again, I love your videos. They're just like so right to the point and engaging to watch. So I recommend people to check it out. And again, thank you so much for your time. It was definitely a treat to reconnect with you. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. All right, now it's your turn. I want to hear from you. How are you planning to spice up your relationship? Are you trying new things or maybe revisiting old hobbies? Remember, every relationship is unique and there is no one size fits all solution. Maybe you're using apps like Copley to rediscover each other's love languages and maybe you're planning surprise dates. Whatever it is, we are all ears. Let me know. DM me on our Instagram at Sexology Podcast.
Here's an exciting part. We're inviting couples who are interested to join us in our live show recording to come and pick up the pleasure menu that we curated for them. It's a fantastic opportunity to share your experiences, learn from others, and contribute to real-life conversation about love, relationships, and everything in between. Remember, love is a journey, not a destination. I hope I'll see you this weekend during our live show. Until then. Thanks for listening to Sexology Podcast. For more great content, visit www.sexologypodcast.com. Please be advised that information presented on this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health provider.